Hello and welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. You're tuning into the sermon series by Pastor Priji titled The Kingdom Come. This week, Pastor Priji shares on resurrection and the radical and audacious faith that is key to bringing his kingdom here on earth. This morning we are going to receive from the table of the Lord. We're going to receive from Jesus. We're going to receive his heart. We're going to receive his mind for us. The verse for this season is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. How many of you remember this? The Bible says, this is Jesus. He taught us to pray this prayer. He said, may your kingdom come soon and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that Jesus imparted, released into his uh, disciples and he taught them to pray this prayer and he said you need to pray like this may your kingdom come soon may your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven amen so this morning as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord as we prepare our lives for the coming of the Lord this has to be our prayer this has to be the utterance. This has to be the declaration from our mouth every day saying, Lord, let your kingdom come soon. And the more we pray this prayer, the more we need to align our hearts and our lives in order to prepare for his kingdom. Jesus also further said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, repent of your sins and Turn to God. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It is at hand. It is about to be manifested. If during the days of Jesus, if it was near, if during the days of the apostles, it, you know, the, the, those were the last days, then we are living in the lastest days. Do you understand the point? If they were living in in a season, in a way that there was a sense of urgency, then there is so much need for you and I to pursue that same urgency, that same desire to see the kingdom of heaven manifest, which is right at hand. Amen? And when we are in Acts chapter 4, there is this particular statement that we read about Peter and John. They had been preaching about Jesus in uh, the synagogue. They've been preaching about Jesus in the public places, in the marketplace. Everywhere they go, they've been preaching about Jesus. The Bible says that the members of the council were amazed. They were amazed. They were like, you know, in this place where they couldn't believe their ears. They couldn't believe their eyes. They were amazed. They were surprised. What, what was it that caused the members of the council to be amazed? It says, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. See, just in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you remember Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power and you will receive the boldness you will receive the enabling strength to be my witnesses and to tell people about me everywhere in Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth this was in response to a question that they asked 
What is the question they asked? Is it now that the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of God is gonna come? Is it now that Israel will be the capital of the world? Is it now that Jerusalem will be exalted? And God is telling them, hey, you have to manifest the boldness that will come upon you when the Holy Spirit fills you. And here is the manifest result of that boldness. In Acts chapter four, you see that when they are being bold, the council, they are amazed. They are surprised. See, you, you should understand what, what surprised them is not necessarily the miracles. Because they've been seeing miracles during the days of Jesus as well. What surprised them is not good, sound doctrine. What surprised them is not, hey, these guys are still following Jesus. What surprised them is the boldness that Peter and John had. That how can these guys be so bold? How many of you know that this season the Lord is releasing boldness? We, we read about a man who was almost in hiding. A man called Gideon who was in hiding. And, and he had the right reasons to be in hiding. He was traumatized by his brothers being slaughtered. He was traumatized by constant stealing from his life. He was traumatized by the enemy who did not leave anything behind in his house. He was traumatized and that's why now fear had gripped him. But then God appears to him and God says, no, there is a strength that has been forming on the inside of you even when you were in hiding. Now go in the strength that you have. So this morning, the Lord is looking at some of us and the Lord is calling out the boldness that he has already deposited on the inside of us. See, this boldness, it doesn't come because you have um, all the necessary means and everything working out for you and everything on your favor. This boldness comes because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. This boldness comes because you have a revelation of who your God is. This, this boldness comes because you've been walking with Jesus diligently every day. The Bible says, they looked at Peter and John and they were amazed. He said, for they could see that they were ordinary men. All the ordinary people in the house said an amen. amen. Any superheroes this morning attending our services? All of us are ordinary. All of us have limitations. All of us have challenges. All of us have struggles. And if you don't have struggles, you don't need a hospital. You don't need a church. The fact that you are here, even after you've had a bad week, maybe in your health, maybe in your finances, maybe in your relationships, in your marriage, it's a, it's a fact that you're ordinary people. We are ordinary people. We are here because we, we need the Lord. There was a time when all these critics of Jesus, they looked at Jesus and said, hey, why are you spending time with this group of people, this kind of people? And Jesus said, isn't it the hurting, the broken, the, the ones that are sick that needs a physician, the ones that are sick that needs to be in a hospital? And these council members, they're looking at Peter and John and they find this amazing quality about them. It is the fact that they were ordinary people. What is going to amaze people about you is not the fact that 
you have some extraordinary ability to you know speak out the correct words and you know have the right action move in your dance step what is going to amaze them is that you're ordinary people you're not somebody who has something extra that others don't have and yet they 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 these guys they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures no special understanding of the, of the scriptures the only guy who had some understanding of scriptures was apostle paul and he was not in their group yet all the fishermen all the you know tax collectors and the zealots all of them they had no understanding of scripture the way that paul did and yet these guys look at them and say these are ordinary people they have not been to church they have not been to a bible school they are ordinary people and the bible says they also recognized them as men who had been with jesus so what is it that made them bold not their qualification not the fact that they had understanding of scriptures not the fact that they had uh, everything required to be a good bible teacher and apostle no what what made them stand out is the fact that they had been with jesus wow you know this morning we are here to be at his feet to be with jesus but when you walk out of this place people need to taste and see that you've been in the presence of god they need to be able to smell the presence of god upon your life they need to be able to understand what you're manifesting is not your ability and your strength what you're manifesting is a strength that is out of the ordinary that is not normal that is what you're manifesting the bible says in matthew chapter 10 verse 28 this is jesus when they were spending time with jesus jesus taught them certain things you know during their time on the earth jesus helped them to overcome their fears jesus intentionally would ask them to cross to the other side of the lake knowing the fact that the weather is going to change somewhere down the line and that there is going to be a storm and this is going to freak out his disciples and to add it all he is going to walk on the water to them making it look like a ghost is approaching you know they are already in a storm they are already in a time where they they are feeling like they're going to drown and in the middle of all of it comes a ghost to scare them further so jesus put them through ample amount of situations where they they will be scared where they can be fearful and jesus trained them to not be fearful so when you draw closer to jesus don't ever expect to have a easy life a struggle free life see what was the characteristic about J- about john and peter they were ordinary people no no special training in scriptures but what made them stand out was the fact that they had been with jesus and here is a group of people who were with jesus and jesus telling them you don't have to be afraid of those who want to kill your body don't be afraid of them you don't have to be afraid of those circumstances that have power to impact your physical environment you don't have to be afraid of those uh, people that can steal money from you 
You don't have to be afraid of those circumstances that can take away your emotional or, or, or mental peace. You don't have to be afraid of those things. Why? Because they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. All through this time, this was the one thing Jesus would constantly emphasize. When they were caught in a, a storm, when they were caught in a mob, when they were caught in uh, movements where there were no provision, Jesus would constantly emphasize saying, guys, why, why are you worried like the pagans? Why are you talking like the pagans? These are things that pagans worry about. You and I, we don't have to be worried about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, you know, because you have a father in heaven who cares for you. So don't do what everybody else does. So Jesus constantly trained them to believe that your physical needs don't reach the point where it needs to cause you fear. Your physical threats, even if it means that tomorrow, somebody has to write a statement saying you're going to die in a week's time that should not cause fear to a child of god because the bible says you should not be afraid of those that can touch your body you should not and that is the boldness that peter and john had because they had been with jesus and now they this is a characteristic that is part of their life where they they've come to believe that ah I'm not going to let those who can touch my body to make me afraid. In fact, these leaders of the council, they threatened them. They said, one more time I find you talking about Jesus. You are going to be killed. The last time we only imprisoned you, the next time we will kill you. And they said, are you serious? Do you think we're going to obey you more than obeying God? Because they know that the only thing worth fearing is the one who can destroy both body and soul. A soul of a saved person is secure. The world can only affect your body. The world can only affect your physical circumstances. The world cannot affect your soul. But when you begin to be fearful, when you begin to be afraid, now what is on the physical realm begins to go inside fear is the connector of the physical circumstances to go and travel into the soul realm so you have to be very careful in this season you're going to hear a lot of bad reports bad news bad things that are happening around you the one thing that you should keep remembering is hey don't be afraid of the ones that can only touch your body and let your boldness stand out let the people around you see the boldness and be amazed that these guys have been with Jesus. Because now they are being bold like Jesus himself is. You know, at one point, the, the disciples of Jesus, they tried, you know, objecting. This is John chapter 11 and verse 8. His disciples objected saying, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea, they were trying to stone you. This is the Jesus we are talking about. See, if you've been walking with Jesus for long, you're going to have the same characteristics that Jesus had, right? Here we see Jesus, a few days back, the people in Judea, they tried stoning him. Now, Jesus says, okay, let's go back to Judea. 
what do we do? We'll say, okay, you know, this is a place we have to be very careful about Jesus and, you know, let's, let's, let's not go, you know, stir things up unwantedly. But Jesus says, okay, we are going back to Judea. And his disciples, they, they, they're like, just in case Jesus forgot what happened. Just in case Jesus don't know where we are headed to. This is the same place where they tried to stone you. This is the same place where they tried to kill you. So are you sure, Jesus, that you want to go there? In fact, Thomas, he was a little funny. He said, okay, verse 16, Thomas nicknamed the twin. He said to the other fellow disciples, what did he say? Let's go to and die with Jesus. He was not being very encouraging. He was being sarcastic, you know. Do you have those sarcastic people in your group? You know, simple-minded people like me, we tend to believe that and we're like, wow, what a courageous person. No, no, he was being sarcastic. He was saying, okay, Jesus is going to die anyways. Okay, let's all go and die with him. He was in fact poking fun at Jesus and he was in fact poking fun at all the other uh, disciples. This was not a statement spoken in faith. It was spoken in fear. God doesn't respond to your fear. God doesn't respond to your sarcasm. What God responds to is your faith, the declaration of your faith. And let's see what Jesus said. The next verse, verse 25 of the same chapter, John chapter 11. Jesus told Martha, the same story. Okay, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that's when the disciples said, hey, are you serious? They're going to stone you. Are you serious? We are all going to die along with you. But Jesus knew who he was. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He's not saying I will be the resurrection. There's a big difference between I will be the resurrection. He's not saying, okay, in some time I'm going to be crucified and then I will rise up again in three days and then you can also see me as the resurrection. No, he said, I am the resurrection. Somebody said, Jesus is the resurrection. The reason Jesus could walk so boldly and he could go back to every assignment that God has given him was because he knew who he was. He knew that he is the resurrection and he is the life. And that is why no dangers, no problems, no struggles were big enough for Jesus. That is why he was not afraid of dying. That is why he was not afraid of being stoned. That is why he was not afraid of what his disciples would go through. He said, hey, because I live, you will live also. He in fact said, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Even when they go through a process of dying, even when they go through a process of brokenness, even when they go through a process of failure, they will live. They will continue to have resurrection power. They will continue to be brought back to life. Why? Because they have been spending time with me and I am the resurrection and I am the life. This is the Jesus. It's not possible that any place that Jesus walks into, we can have a funeral service. Any place that he walks into, there is going to be a resurrection service. Any place that he comes into, I'm telling you, your dead situations has to come back to life. 
when you believe that when you understand that when you totally agree to that and embrace that desire in your heart i'm telling you nothing will be fearful for you anymore nothing will be a threat to anymore to you anymore nobody will be able to put a stop in your tracks saying hey are you really sure you want to be stoned are you really sure you want to be drowned are you really sure to you, you want to be bankrupt are you really sure that you, you know you'll be the only person in the whole thing you'll be going against the way nobody will be able to convince you when you know that god is going with you because god says i am the resurrection and i am the life amen now this was the boldness that peter and john had they knew that jesus is with them they knew what jesus had said don't be afraid of those who can touch your body but those that can even touch your but fearfully god who can uh, destroy both your body and your soul they also knew what jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life because of that they were not afraid of death they were not afraid of laying themselves down in fact apostle paul he would teach us further about resurrection in hebrews chapter 6 there is a scripture that mentions that there is a resurrection is a is a doctrine just like baptism is a doctrine how many of you know that baptism is a doctrine of the new testament church you can go back and read hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 and 2 it says baptism repentance all of these are doctrinal statements of the new testament church and one of the doctrinal statements of the new testament church is the resurrection from the dead this is something that we have to believe with everything if we don't believe that we are going to experience a resurrection then we cannot live fearless lives we will be stopping every time just second guessing ourselves every single day for the rest of our life but when a church truly believes that they will be resurrected they will not be afraid of anything they will not be afraid of anybody and when will the resurrection happen it will happen when jesus comes back there is resurrection that is promised in different aspects of our life but there is a eternal resurrection a resurrection to never die again let's read about it first thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 I want you to read it with me loudly 1 2 3 go for the Lord himself he will come down from heaven how will he come with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God who is going to come the Lord himself see when we say today that the Lord came into our service what we are meaning is that the holy spirit came we are not saying that the Lord Jesus came because when jesus comes people have to come back to life the you know there is the second coming of jesus that's the end of history there is no second thing about it when jesus comes uh, the everything is coming to a standstill this is what happens when jesus comes but when we say that the presence of god is here what we are meaning is the presence of the holy spirit is here because jesus told us in a little while i will not be with you but in a little while i'll come back to you he was referring to the presence of the holy spirit who will be given to dwell in us and with us and wherever two or three gather his presence just fills that room amen but there is going to come a day when jesus he will return back 
The Bible says he himself, he will come down from heaven and there will be a commanding shout. A commanding shout. You remember I showed you a picture last Sunday about a, a, a rider on a white horse. When he comes down, he will have a, a, a flaming, his eyes were like flaming uh, sword fire. His eyes were like uh, flames of fire and and. And, and there was a, a sword coming out of his mouth and there was a robe that was dipped in blood and, and his title was the word of God. He was also called faithful and true. He came to wage a, a true and a righteous war. He came to judge. Amen. And that is why the Bible says he came with a commanding shout. When Jesus comes, he's not going to come quietly. There are a lot of people who think that there is going to be a, a secret uh, coming of the Lord Jesus where nobody will know what happened. No, no, no. When he comes, it is going to be loud. Amen. You better have your noise canceling earphones on because this is going to blow your ears. It says he's going to come with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And what will happen? He says, first... The believers who have died, they will rise from their graves. First, this is what will happen. When they hear the commanding shout, when we hear the voice of the archangel, when we see, when we experience the trumpet call of God, the Bible says there are those that have died. There are those that have been broken. There are those that have experienced decay. The Bible says that they will rise from their graves. Then the Bible says, then together with them, we who are still alive, even though we are alive, we are called to live a life of living sacrifices. You remember Romans chapter 12 verse 1? A process where we put ourselves to the altar every single day. Then we who are alive, but we are willing to die for Jesus, each and every one of us, we who are alive, we will also be, we who remain on the earth, we will also be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? This is what is going to happen when the Lord returns. There is going to be transformation in two different realms one who have completely died and the ones that are alive but they are dying to themselves on a daily basis both groups will experience resurrection both groups will experience transformation let's read about it further in first corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51 paul is saying let me reveal to you a wonderful secret Okay, this is a secret. In Paul's days, this was a secret. But for us, it is revealed to us. It says, we will not all die. Some of us, we may have to physically die before Jesus comes back. Some of us, we may have to physically die before the kingdom of God comes and manifests on the earth. But he says, but all of us will not die. Some of us will die, but the others, we will be transformed. Transformed. Formed when this Jesus comes. Why? Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he said, because I am with you, you have cause for no fear. 
And because we are going to be transformed, we don't have to be worried about how we look today. We don't have to be worried about how we feel today. We don't have to be worried about what we are going through today. We can be bold and fearless as we face the world. It says in verse 52, it will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye. Everybody, at the count of three, can you blink your eye? Yeah? Ready? All of you know how to blink your eyes? Yes? Okay, great. Even the kids, okay? All of you, I want you to try blinking your eyes. One, two, three. How, how long did it take? It didn't even take a full second. It's just like, you know, I, I don't know how many of you have been on Instagram reels and, and there is this uh, story, reels that come and he says, when this turns green, you have to blink your eye. Okay, I'm the only Instagram reel addict here. I'm sorry about this. If you don't know, please don't do this. It's, it just wastes like, you know, almost half an hour of your life trying to get, close your eye right when it turns green. Elena, please make sure to edit all these things out. I don't want this to become public knowledge. And, 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 and the fastest ones were what? 0.3 seconds? Zero point, there, are, there are guys who almost cheat it into doing it like in 0.1 second. But that's all the time it's going to take for you and I to be transformed. When this Jesus returns, it says in the blink of an eye, 0.1 second. We, we, are, we are saying the blink of an eye because we have to somehow measure it in earthly standards. But this is a spiritual transformation. It cannot even be measured in time. That's why Paul said in, in a moment, then he's like, ah, moment is too long. And he says it has to be a blink of an eye. It cannot even be a moment. It has to be like so quick that you can't even measure how quick this is going to be. He says in the twinkle of an eye, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, it says... For when the trumpet sounds, who, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living, what will happen to us? We will also be transformed. Those who have died, they will be raised to live forever. Okay? They have nothing left in their bodies. They have nothing uh, to show but they will be given new bodies, they will be given new strength, everything that is lost will be restored back to them, and they will be raised to live forever when Jesus comes. And it says, but the ones that are alive, but you and I who are going to see him face to face, we who are living, we will also be transformed. We will be changed. And, Jesus, and, and Paul said it further. He says in verse 43, of the same chapter. He says, our bodies, if we die, it is buried in brokenness. Our bodies, when we die, we are buried in weakness. When you're being buried, you, you know, you, you cannot show off your muscles. When you're being buried, you cannot show off your good looks. When you're being buried, you cannot show off your wealth when you're being buried, you're buried in brokenness. When you're buried, you're buried in weakness. And when we look at Peter and John, when the world looked at them, they saw their weakness. They are ordinary people. 
they're not extraordinary men. They don't have any superpower. They're ordinary people. But they were constantly buried. Every day they were dying to themselves and they were uh, burying themselves in brokenness. It says, our bodies, they are buried in brokenness. But when we are raised, how will we be raised? We will be raised in glory. It says, they are buried in weakness, but when we are raised, we will be raised in strength. Now, this is true about both groups of people. The ones that are alive and the ones that died. The ones that died, they, they will also receive glory and strength. But the ones that are alive, you and I, are there areas in your life where you are experiencing death? Other areas in your life where you are you're threatened by fear of, of losing everything. Other areas in your life where you feel like, if I do the right thing that God wants me to do, then there is a risk of me losing everything that I have saved up, everything that I have prepared for, everything that I dreamt of. There is a risk of me losing everything. The Lord is saying, don't worry about the things that you have to put on the line so that you can do what I have called you to do. So that you can prepare for the kingdom of heaven to come. Because he's saying, don't be afraid of your bodies that are going to be hurt by microorganisms. Don't be afraid of your reputation that are going to be hurt by those that write about you on Facebook. Don't be afraid of your uh, credit score by by those who are going to put a negative score and going to say that you're not qualified to make your own house. You're not qualified to, to, to build your own thing. Don't be afraid. He's saying because you are only fearful of one person. There's only one person worth fearing. The one who can destroy both your body and your soul. All these people, they can only touch your bodies. And this season, I want our church to have an arrogant faith, a radical faith, so radical that we, 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 there'll be nothing that will be able to stop us, nothing that will be able to slow us down, nothing, because we know that our king is coming. We know that whether I am alive or I am, whether I'm, uh, you know, breathing or whether I'm buried, I will still experience that resurrection power. Come on, say it out loud. Whether I'm breathing or I'm buried, I will experience resurrection power. It says we will all be transformed in the blink of an eye. Our brokenness will be exchanged for glory. Our failures will be exchanged for beauty. Our weaknesses will be exchanged for strength in the blink of an eye. Amen? Let's go to the book of Revelation. It says, on that day. Now we are talking about a physical resurrection that is going to happen at the end of time. Are you ready to read this? It says, then I saw thrones and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. You remember the statement from last week? King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So you, you, you and I... We are preparing the earth for the coming of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And it says that when this happens, it says there were thrones that were brought. Not just one throne where Jesus will sit, but thrones. So many thrones. How many of you are ready to sit on a throne? 
I mean, when we are looking at the brokenness and the failures that we are experiencing right now, we, we need to remember that there is coming a resurrection where the brokenness will be exchanged for glory. When the failures, when the weakness will be exchanged for strength. When, my, when, when everything that I am being looked down for, it will be exchanged for a throne. It says, then I saw thrones. Apostle John, he saw thrones. Not thrones where God will sit, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will sit. No, he saw thrones and the people that were sitting on them. People, ordinary people who had been with Jesus, who knew how to conquer their fear, who were not afraid to die, who were bold enough to face death head on. He says, they had been given the authority to do what? To judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus. Those souls that were beheaded. You remember what did Jesus say in Matthew 10? He said, don't be afraid of those that can hurt your body because they can only hurt your body. You have to be afraid of the ones that can hurt your soul. And that is only God. Only God can touch your soul. And here, you see the souls of all those that have experienced a beheading in their physical body. Now, some of them are literally going to be beheaded for the gospel. The others, we get to live in a way that we, we are constantly beheaded every day. You know what it means to be beheaded and to live without a head? What it means to be without somebody controlling the body. You know, the, the biggest hindrance of God using us is our head. The biggest hindrance of God's presence flowing through us is the fact that we have not given him headship in our life. Where we still want to be the head over our own bodies, the head over our own future, the head over our own choices. But when we are willing to be beheaded, when we will lay ourselves down at the altar and say, Lord, I'm not going to fear. I'm just going to let you do everything. I'm, I'm willing to live a beheaded life. The Bible says that kind of people, their souls. It says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. It says, they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor had they accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. It says they all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for what? For a thousand years. Now, Apostle Paul gave us two different categories of people, right? But Revelation says it's just one group. There are going to be those that are alive, but they also have to live a beheaded lifestyle. There are those that are physically dead, but they also have had to have lived a beheaded lifestyle to make it in this resurrection. We think that, oh, I have a church membership. I'll somehow make it into this resurrection. No. Those who want to make it into this resurrection will need to live a beheaded lifestyle. I know that in the natural, when we envision it, it looks like a zombie movie. But you have to understand the spirit behind what I'm saying. Where Christ becomes your head. Where he begins to drive you. The Bible says, 
those that are the children of God, those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children. They are the sons of God, where the Spirit of God becomes the head of our lives, where we are beheaded. Why are we beheaded? Go back to the previous verse. It says, they are beheaded for their testimony about Jesus. Church, this week you need to have a testimony about Jesus. Not a testimony about yourself, not a testimony of what you did for the Lord. So many times during testimony time, I, I, you know, I'm like trying to understand what are they testifying about? Are they testifying about how good they are? Or are they testifying about how good God is? Your, your testimony cannot be about yourself. No, there is nothing good in you to testify about yourself. If you want to testify, if somebody else can testify about you, but you cannot testify about yourself. But you and I, we need to have a testimony about Jesus. And it says, not only did they have a testimony about Jesus, they were bold in proclaiming the word of God. Some of us, we are stuck with a testimony. That in 2007, I was addicted to alcohol and then Jesus saved me. But hey, I need to hear what is God speaking to me today. Have you read your Bible today? Have you heard from God today? Are you listening to what God is speaking today? Then give me a word from the Lord today. And the Bible says that this is a group of people who were beheaded. Why? Because they wanted to carry a testimony about Jesus and they wanted to proclaim the word of God. Further on, read the next verse. It says, they had not worshipped the beast or his statue. Now, this is all of the things that I'm telling you. It is going to physically take place on the earth where the beast will manifest and there will be a mandate that we have to worship him. We have to bow down before his statue. And it says that this group of people, they did not worship the beast. But let me ask you this. Even today, when that beast is not yet manifested, do we worship other forms of things that represent the beast? Do we worship our own selves? Do we worship our own identity, our own security? Do we worship, do we make idols out of things that we, we hold so close to our heart? It could even be your ministry that can become your idol. It can even become your family, the people that you really love that can become your idol. So much so that you're not willing to let go off of them. You know, one of the favorite things that, you know, not pleasant, but my favorite things is to read up church history. And when you read church history, you find so many great men and women of God who were tortured in front of their family members, in front of their children, and they were asked, to deny their faith and they were asked to renounce Jesus and they were asked to give up on the, uh, this belief that Christianity is the only way to God. And these guys, they, they, will, they will say, man, what, what example will I leave for my children if I do this? And they, in, in, in front of people, some of them, they will be naked, they'll be hung, they'll be crucified in front of their kids and they will stand up saying, ah, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind even, and so the torturers will turn the attention from the parents to the children, to their spouses, to, and still they will stand firm for their faith. 
I mean, there's one book that I would recommend for you to read if you have the guts to do it. It's called The Fortress Book of Martyrs. Have you heard of this book? It begins all the way from the apostles. The first chapter is the death of the apostles, okay? And it travels through the history of the church and it talks about all the martyrs that were martyred in the church and uh, for, the, for their faith. Not just preachers, but ordinary people that got martyred. It's ancient English, so you will need a little bit of patience to read through it. But if you, if you cannot read, just get the audio version on Audible. And I, this is a book worth reading of people that were not willing to worship their families. The people that were not willing to worship their, their safety, their convenience. It says they, these guys, they had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor did they accept his mark on their foreheads. What, did, what happened to them? It says they came to life and they reigned with Christ for how many years? For a thousand years from the day that they got resurrected. We know when this happens, when Christ comes, when the Lord comes with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel and, a, and the blowing of a trumpet, that's when this will happen. When all those that have laid their lives down, those who have lived a beheaded lifestyle, they will come back to life. The next verse says, this is the first resurrection. Everybody said this is the first resurrection. And this doesn't mean that everybody got resurrected here. It says the rest, there are many other dead people. They will not come back to life until the thousand years are over. But the first resurrection is only for those who have lived a beheaded lifestyle. Who have lived, who, who are willing to die for Jesus physically or in their lifestyle. They are willing to live in such a way that they are, they are sacrificial, they are self-sacrificial. And what is it that gives them the courage to live like that? The fact that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who follow me, they cannot be afraid of those who harm the body. They have to be only afraid of God who can touch the soul and the body. Verse 6, Revelation chapter 20, it says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Somebody said, I will be blessed. And I am holy. Why? Because they are the ones who share in the first resurrection. For, for them, the second death holds no power. The second death is eternal death. All of us, we will have the first death. Maybe in person, maybe physically, or we will have to experience, you know, a gradual dying on the altar. But the second death is eternal. The second death, there is no turning back from the second death. It says, the ones that have come to life in the first resurrection, the second death holds no power over them. But what will they do? They will be priests of God and they will be priests of Christ and what will they do? They will reign with him for a thousand years. They will be priests of God and they will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. So there is this dual calling upon our lives where we will be priests and we will be kings. Kings to rule and reign over the people of the earth. 
and preach because we will still serve God. We will still pursue Him all through the thousand years. We will love the Lord and we will lead the people. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, there is an order, there is a divine order to this resurrection. What is the order? It says, Christ, he was raised as the first of the harvest. This first resurrection that we are talking about, who was the first person to be resurrected among this first resurrection? It is Jesus himself. He was the first fruit of this first resurrection. He says, Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. It says in verse 24, after that, the end will come. After that would mean after a gap of thousand years. You remember that? Jesus, the, the Bible said that the ones that whose souls came to life, who lived beheaded life, they came to life and they ruled with Jesus for how long? For thousand years. It says after that, the end will come when he, who is he? Jesus, when he will turn the kingdom over to the Father, having destroyed every ruler, every authority, and every power. The Bible says that Jesus, we will be ruling under Jesus for how long? For thousand years. And when the end comes, Jesus will hand back the kingdom to the Father. What is going on till, till, till that happens? Jesus' assignment is to make sure that every ruler and every power, every, every uh, authority is destroyed. See, right now, you know what is our job? Our job is to take dominion. Wherever the Lord has given us authority, we take dominion. We, we, we go and exercise the rulership of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, you know what we will do? We will hand off the authority. We'll hand off the kingdom to Jesus. Okay, now he will, he will rule and reign as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. And now together with Jesus, we will rule and reign for a thousand years. But guess what? Death will still be there. Even in that thousand year period. Death would have still not been destroyed during that thousand years. Death, you would see this, you will, you will read it in detail in the book of Revelation. Death will still be prevalent on the earth. Not for you and I who have glorified bodies, but there will be ordinary people who still haven't trusted Jesus yet. And you and I, we will get to be the rulers over that, over that land, over that nation, spiritually and physically. And there will come a time when every ruler and every authority and every power will be destroyed. Okay, it'll take a period of thousand years for us to reach that point. In fact, at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says Satan will be released from the uh, bottomless pit for one, one last time. And he will go and get the whole world messed up all over again. And then for, with, with one last breath, Jesus will silence them. And finally, what will he do? He will turn the kingdom to the Father. See, when the father arrives on the scene, there's going to be no battles after that. It says, earth will flee from his presence. 
the heavens will flee from his presence. In fact, it will be so dramatic that God would have to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Because the current earth as we know it cannot stand in the presence of the Father. When the Father comes, it's the end of the story. But before the Father comes, Jesus is going to conquer every ruler, every authority, and every power. And before Jesus comes, it is up to you and to me to, to have authority and dominion everywhere that the Lord has given us influence on the earth. When Jesus comes, we have to be, in the same way that Jesus would hand authority to the Father, we have to be prepared to tell him, Lord, we did our best job in Hormawagra. We did our best job in Hennur. We did our best job in Kotnur, in Bangalore. We did our job. Now, here is it. Here is your land. Here is your city. Come and rule over our city. Come and rule over our nation. Amen. But Jesus, he will destroy the last of all rulers, the last of all authority, and the last of the powers. Verse 25, read this with me. For Christ, he must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy, read it loudly with me, and the last enemy to be destroyed is what? It's not Satan. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Is death. Which means we don't have to be concerned about Satan as much as we have to be concerned about death. If we can have the right perspective about death, then we can overcome every spiritual battles. We can overcome every physical battles. We can overcome every emotional battles. If we are living as a church that truly believe in the resurrection and the life, I'm telling you, there'll be no areas where we cannot have dominion. The one thing that the enemy will constantly remind you is that you're sinful, that you're going to die, that you are, you, you are temporary, that this is temporary, this marriage, it'll perish this finances it will it'll come to a place where you will run out of everything whatever you're experiencing oh it's it's not eternal it's going to run out and that is where you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because even if it does you know we believe in a God who can restore things on the earth but even if it doesn't happen on the earth there is coming a day when my life will be transformed in the blink of an eye Everything will come back to life. And the last enemy to be destroyed, the death, he will also be under the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, after having conquered even death, will hand everything back to the Father. See, knowing the end of the game, it really helps you to not panic during the game. Yeah, you know that when you're watching the highlights of a cricket match, and you've already read the title that says, okay, India beat New Zealand or India beat South Africa. You know, I, I try my best when I'm playing a highlights to, to not read. I'm like, oh, I, I, I want to click on this without reading what happens in the match. But when you've read it, there is no anxiety in your heart. This morning, I'm telling you the end. Jesus actually wins. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus will have the final say. Jesus will conquer every enemy. 
and Jesus will hand over the kingdom to the Father. And when he does hand the kingdom over to the Father, there will be nothing left that is not yet resurrected. Nothing left who has trusted in him. Anything that has been entrusted into his care will be alive and well when Jesus hands it off to the Father. Paul further said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. He cried out saying, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? This morning, you and I, we have to declare this. Look at all those threatening circumstances in your life and say, Hey, oh death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? I know the end. I know what I'm experiencing right now, but I know the end. I know who... I have trusted him. I know my Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. So, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Verse 56. For the sin, for sin is the sting that results in death. You remember that? The wages of sin is death. And the law is what gives sin its power. But thank God. Read the next verse with me loud and clear. But thank God because he gives us victory over sin and victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the resurrection and he is the life. He is the resurrection and he is the life. Because of Jesus, we experience victory over sin and we experience victory over the effect of sin over the sting of sin, over the consequences of sin, over the wages of sin. That is, we have experienced victory even over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's encouragement, the next verse. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Be strong and be immovable. Always work enthusiastically. Can I replace the word enthusiastically with diligently? Yeah, it says, for always work diligently for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. The enemy will constantly keep telling you, hey, this is useless. It's no point in praying so much. No point in doing what you're doing. See, Paul is not talking about rewards in chapter 15. He's talking about death and resurrection. And what is his conclusion? His conclusion is that you should be diligent people. His conclusion is that there has to be an enthusiasm in your work for the Lord. His conclusion is that you have to be strong and immovable. His conclusion is that you have to know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. So, may the Lord fill you with divine courage and strength this week. I want to finish with this promise from Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. The Bible says, Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. Not all, many. Okay? You remember there are two resurrections. One is the first resurrection and then there is a second resurrection. The second resurrection happens only when the father comes into the picture. And the, and the judgment books are open. Only then the second resurrection happens. But the Bible says in the first resurrection, many of those whose bodies lie dead. See, in the second resurrection, everybody from Adam to 
end of time, whoever has died, they will all come back to life. But in the first resurrection, many of those whose bodies lie dead and are buried will rise up. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. So even among the ones that are part of the first resurrection, we, we have the choice of living in such a way that we will truly experience the life that God has given us or else some of us will be ashamed for the rest of eternity. We will have that knowledge of what was possible through our life. We will see our life in the light of eternity and then we will see what all we missed out on earth because of fear. What all we said no to because we were too afraid to take that next step. What all we, we didn't have a revelation because we didn't have a revelation of resurrection and life. What all we were very careful about and we didn't do. It says the next verse, those who are wise, verse 3, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. Any wise people in this church? Any wise virgins in this church? Any wise builders in this church? The Bible says those who are wise, they will shine as bright as the sky. But those who lead many to righteousness, what will they do? They will shine like the stars forever. They will shine and they will shine and they will shine and they will shine and they will shine, they will shine forever. When will this happen? When they are resurrected. When they come back to life. Some of them, they will be resurrected to eternal, everlasting life of shining. Others, they will be resurrected to eternal disgrace and shame. Some, they will only shine like the brightness of the sky. You can look at a sky and not be hurt. But some, others, they will shine so bright. They will shine like the stars. You know that you can't get too close to a star. You cannot look at a star for long enough. But they will burn with the brightness of a star for all eternity. What group of people are these? It says, those who lead many to righteousness. So today, I'm giving you the same command that I gave you last week. Lead people to the Lord. Lead people into righteousness. Lead them into the same faith that you have. Lead them into that same place of experiencing Jesus that you are walking in. And when you do that, the Bible says you will shine like the brightness of stars forever and ever and ever. All eyes closed. This morning we have to bury the fear of death. This morning we have to get rid of every discouragement in our hearts. Because when Jesus comes, he's going to come with a commanding shout. And he's going to come with the voice of an archangel. And he's going to come and he's going to release the trumpet call of God. And when he comes, those that have died in Christ, they will rise up first. And those that are alive, we will also rise up. We will also be transformed in the blink of an eye. Behold, he comes. Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, so lift your voice, it's the ear of jubilee, 
And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Thank you for this word this morning. And we command every fear to leave right now in Jesus' name. I want you to keep your hand on your heart. And another hand, I want you to place it on your head. Lord, in Jesus' name, we rebuke every fear, every brokenness and every weakness that is causing panic. We, we command it to leave. We command that anxiety to evaporate this morning in Jesus' name. We command those negative thoughts to leave this morning in Jesus' name. And we declare, let the resurrection and the life let the one who is the resurrection and the life take over your home take over your heart take over your circumstances this morning because you know that you will have the last laugh you will have the final say we hope this message blessed your spirit let us prepare in anticipation for the coming of jesus if you are here for the first time Please log in to dreamingrevival.com slash welcome to connect with us. We wish you a week ahead filled with diligence.